high atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Catholic. It's Carrie Janice here. I'm with my good friend, Mike Walsh. Hi, Carrie. How are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you? <laughs> well, you know what? We are, we are being good Catholic podcasters right now. We are recording early. So mm-hmm. when folks listen to this, it'll be uh, early January, but we're actually recording this on, what, uh, December 21st? We're, we're leading up to Christmas. So it's, uh, it's nice. We're almost there. But we're, we're already focused on the new year. I've, I've actually thought about this. You know, before we started the podcast, I was uh, trying mm-hmm. to think about what the new year is going to be like for me. It's going to be busy for me. I've decided. It's going to be very busy. Well. What do you have going on? At this point, if I were a betting man, I would tell you that there's most likely going to be a new bishop in the Diocese of Camden. Wait, I feel like I heard this like three different times in I've the past this, three years. I said it a lot. I know. So I don't believe it. But the, the little the little rumor mill has hit another has hit another gear. Yeah, so I'm that's, like, that, that makes me excited. Yeah, well, uh, tell it, me more. I, I, that's the problem with the rumor mill. There's never facts. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's 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 stuff like that. But well, can you tell me? All right, when yeah. a new bishop comes. Like, what what happens? How will it be announced? And I'm sure our, our listeners want to know this, too. Sure. And then, like, what what's going to make your life so busy? I mean, like, I understand it, but I don't. So I want to. Sure. And, and maybe our listeners have these same questions. So, so when a, a new. So what will happen first is the new bishop will get a phone call from the apostolic nuncio, mm-hmm. who is. Uh, oh, my goodness. Cardinal Christophe Pierre mm-hmm. at the moment. And he's essentially the ambassador right, from, for the U.S. For from the U.S. Rome. from Rome. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he'll make a call to the new guy. And okay. the new guy will say yes or no. They can say no. Wow. It is possible. They got the person, option. The, the new guy may be a priest. The new guy may be an already... Um, auxiliary bishop. An auxiliary or, bishop. Or, or a current bishop. Or an ordinary someplace bishop, else. Yeah. You never know. And they will make that decision. And then once they've made that decision, then... The nuncio gives the current bishop of Camden a call, Bishop Sullivan. You can officially retire. He's like, I got, it'll be something along the lines of, I got good news. Because uh-huh. <laughs> uh, not in the set, not that Bishop Sullivan wants to go anywhere. He's, he's been a great yeah. bishop and he loves the job, but you know. He's rolling in on seventy nine at this point, yeah. and you know he he tells everybody. He's in overtime. Half of his half of his homilies are like, "I hope I'm not here next year." Yeah, <laughs> and, and he means it in the nicest way possible. But he's he's seventy nine years old, so he's ready. Yeah. He's, he's no he's he's no fool, and uh, so then so then now that could happen anywhere from a couple of weeks to a week to just a couple of days before the announcement is made public, mm-hmm. at which point. I'll find out without a lot of time. I mm-hmm. might find out a day. I'll probably find out a day in advance because we'll have mm-hmm. to prepare the, for the next day. Right. At that point, we're putting together a press conference. You're texting me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, would, let me know. I believe it's technically still under, the, it falls under the, an apostolic, not an apostolic secret, but an apostolic something else. So um, you have to remain quiet. So you have to remain mm-hmm. quiet. Okay. I can't tell Fair anybody. Enough. So you will not get a text message from me. All right. Uh, you won't even get a wink from me. It'll be, but I will, as soon as 6.30 that morning rolls around. So at 6.30 this, that morning, well, 12.30 Rome time is when they announce it. So oh, it's around right. 6.30 okay. our time. Mm-hmm. And the first people to announce it will be the USCCB. And so the uh, press release will go out at 6.30 in the morning. But we'll already have our stuff up. Mm-hmm. It'll link to whatever needs to be linked to, and mm-hmm. that will be when the announcement happens. So okay, yeah. so so uh, follow up question on that: 
when the USCCB announces it, do they do multiple ones at the same time, or could this just be Camden's? Or is it like it's usually, they're anticipating a couple? You can have more than one announcement on a because day. Because like if someone's moving over and someone has to fill that spot, like yeah. you know how like when priest changes happen and it's like the domino effect, mm-hmm. like no. Uh, Generally, no, because it won't ordinarily okay. be someone who's already a bishop, an ordinary bishop somewhere. It could, it could just be, be a though. new one. It, it most likely is going to be a that's new exciting. one. That's exciting. So someone like younger, or, fresh. Yeah, more than likely. That yeah, be because one. we're a smaller diocese, not like a metropolitan. Well, we're kind of metropolitan area, but like yeah, we're, we're not area. like uh, Philadelphia, you know, no. like so it'll be different. Okay. And there was another question I had and now I've, it's escaped me, but that's okay. It's okay. It wasn't that important. It was something along the lines of when they name a new bishop um, and him saying no or not. But Well, what's interesting is technically when, me. when a bishop is named, he's the new bishop that, that minute. Like he then... Even be- if he's not ordained? Well, if he's not ordained, he's not. Okay. But if he's already an ordained bishop, okay. that's, that's it. the guy. Yeah. And I, and I could be wrong. Well, he's not, he's not ordained. He, oh, no, he is ordained. Yeah, he's ordained. Uh I could actually, you know what? Now that you mention that, I need to double check that because if it's a sitting bishop, I think he's got the job right that very second. I don't know if he gets the job just for being a bishop elect. I'll have to look into that. That's a good question. Like, if he's not a bishop already, if he's just a priest, right, and he gets asked to be a bishop, well, yes, I'm just saying he's he's (laughs) not doesn't have the the uh, sacrament of the ordination to Mm -hmm. being a bishop at that point. Could he also say no? Like, I don't oh, want yeah. to become anybody, a bishop? Anybody can say no. It's always a choice. Yeah. Wow. No. The problem is that the reason, you, as I've been told, the reason you don't want to say no is no guarantee you're going to get asked the second time. Well, yeah. So that's usually... But, I mean, it's like anything. It's a calling, right? So if he doesn't feel called to it at that yeah. point, you, oh, yeah. you, you if, say... If, I mean, the person could... It could be that they don't want to come to Camden, or it could be that they just don't feel the, drawn to The calling a of a bishop, yeah. yeah. Or yeah being, it's a lot of stress. It's a, it's a whole other oh, level yeah. of the priesthood. Can you imagine? Quite literally, it's a whole other level yeah. of priesthood. And wow. some, some people have no interest in that. But This but, is yeah. really exciting. Well... We well, just, let's hope because yeah. Bishop Sullivan has has been a fantastic bishop for the yeah. Diocese of Camden. He he says repeatedly he's ready to go. So. No, I know he's he's wished me Merry Christmas twice now because on March 25th at the Diocese <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eucharistic Congress he wished everybody Merry Christmas because he said nine months from now he wasn't going to be here. That's right. And then I got a Christmas card in the mail from him saying Merry Christmas. I'm like, well, you <laughs> yeah, got talked to him. But got it twice. <laughs> I like the fact that he's always hopeful. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so he's who, a good bishop. He served us well. He has. Ten years, right? Twenty thirteen did he come in? Twenty thirteen, yeah. Yeah. And the thing was is, you know, you were talked about two things happening on the same day. When Bishop Sullivan was a, when he was installed was the same day or the day after, I guess maybe, that Bishop that uh, Pope Benedict announced his resignation. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I know. That's and, why I knew it was twenty thirteen because I, yeah. I I actually remember that when Pope Francis came in more than when Bishop Sullivan came in, I just knew it was and it was a shame the same too. year. We, we got a because I was that was before I was part of the diocese uh, as the communications director, but the he ended up getting most of the questions he was asked was not about him becoming Bishop of Camden. Yeah, most of the Pope. Yeah, most of the media mm-hmm. questions were about. So, uh, how's it like being in South Jersey? And what do you think about the uh, uh, Pope uh, Benedict resigning? Yeah. So that was that was he got sort of. 
Not that he got signed. He got a lot of press out of it because of it. They got a lot of coverage out of it, which is good. Yeah. But that was not the question he anticipated answering yeah. that Yeah, and normally wouldn't, under normal circumstances, no. be well, that. So. Hadn't happened in 600 years at that point. Yeah. So definitely different. <laughs> that is true. But but anyway, so that's, yeah. yeah, so that's, cool. it'll be cool stuff. And there's a whole, there's all these like cool elements of uh, an installation, a Bishop installation, like yeah. the Vespers the night before, uh, which is always great. And then the that's actual cool. installation. And will that, will they be public? Like, or invite they only? Will, How is it, it going to, yeah. Uh, Our Lady of Hope? Theoretically, everybody's invited to them, okay. but depending on who it is that we're getting, it might change. If it's at the cathedral, the cathedral's a smaller yeah, church. Yeah, you get many people. So my money is that the Vespers would be there, because usually less people come out for Vespers. And then okay. whatever our biggest church is probably going to be will be where mm-hmm. the installation is, is. Or Incarnation? No, the, the or, two Wildwood like Mary Mom. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Wildwood. Two, yeah. Yeah, Wildwood down. They're I like 2,000. Yeah. If we, if we need space for 2,000. St. Anne's. St. Anne's and Wildwood. Yeah. So. I got the little the little ornament in the mail the other day of St. Anne's. Nice? I was like, I was so cute. <laughs> I want a Newman Center one one time. Can we, can we put in for that? So I, Part fa- of the collection. I found out how that happens. So for okay. our listeners who don't know, uh, in the Diocese of Camden, if you are a donor to any of our donation vehicles uh, at the end of the year the um, the fundraising department the the development department sends you a very lovely ornament of a church and or parish in the diocese and it is done based on this is what this is this was told a couple years ago it was based on the age of the church so they, they oh. were going oldest to newest oh. or age of the parish Parish mm. or church? I can't remember which one. But that, Probably parish because St. Anne's was like little. Yeah, it must be a parish. Yeah. And the original parish. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So what's next in line? Do we know? I don't know. I never asked yeah. him about it. It's always a surprise to me when it's because I got it the other yeah. day too. And I was like, oh. Yeah. I was not expecting to see what did, Notre what did, Dame. Uh, I would like to know what there's, it was said it was the 20th one. I'd like to know what one through 19 what the order are. was? Yeah. I'll have to ask. Like, That's what they told me though. I wonder if St. Bridges. It's a, it could also yeah. be that uh, they gave me bad information. And they Our were, Lady f- Peace, I mean, that was older, too, and then it was rebuilt. It's like early... N- the one at Pitt Meade or what? No, Our Lady Peace in Williamstown. Oh, Williamstown. Yeah. Was they, that, our, that one already went up? It was like on the other side. I don't know. I want to okay. know numbers one through 19. You know what? That's your that's your homework, Are, Mike. <laughs> you, you've mistaken my Who's in that department? Was it, is it Stacy who was just it's on the podcast? Stacy Napolitano. She's just on the podcast. Just promoted. She didn't remember. I, I did Was see that, that part of it? Yeah. yeah. So she's she's the new director of development. So that sounds like an excellent question for Stacy Napolitano. I'll email her that later. You should. We'll and then out. and then you should talk to Stacy about uh, coming in as a speaker for the Catholic Business Network uh, monthly meetings because I think you'd be an excellent speaker for them. All right, I got my homework now. There you go. So All right. We'll make that. And I'll put it. I'll put in a good word with word with you. Word for you with Stacy. Sounds good. You can tell it's close to the end of December. My my ability to enunciate <laughs> out the window. All right, we should stop talking and get to our well, you three asked, our three host, you our had, three guests here today. Ordinarily, is, that would be me digressing, but you asked really good questions. Yeah, I was excited. I mean, I think especially I can't wait to find out how much information idea, I got wrong. The idea of a new bishop coming in, I think that that's worth a ten minute digression. Oh well, we'll for w- sure. When whenever that actually happens, there will be, be. I'm sure a whole podcast. Oh no, there'll be an emergency podcast. Yeah, like we will put out a podcast that day. So who's on that? Like Father Hughes. Who? Like who would be on that? Oh, like the bishop, the new bishop himself. No, we wouldn't get. I doubt we'd get. Well, we uh, might get the new bishop. I don't know. I, I'll tell you this: I'm getting a lot of uh, people that keep complaining to me. I'm getting. How, how can I put this? I'm getting criticisms that we've never had Bishop Sullivan on. 
Oh, well, then that would be the one. Well, that, well his, no, we're definitely going to have him his on. His farewell podcast. Yeah, well, he's, he get, I'm going to refer to it as the exit interview. Can I be a co-host for that? Actually, I want all of us to be a co-host. All right, let, let me know. Like, I'll, I'll bring in all the hosts for that one. Let me know. But I don't know if Bishop Sullivan will be on the board with that, but we will. But yeah, but when a new person, there will be an emergency uh, podcast that very day. Maybe we'll get the new bishop on. That would be fun. Mm. Uh, but it'll all. Uh, but it will definitely be Father Hughes, the vicar general of the diocese, or Father Rocks, the chancellor of the diocese, mm-hmm. to come on, and we'll talk about all of the bells and whistles. Yeah, and that's, they can that's refute a good one. all of the mistakes I made in this this edition. Sorry, you gave people something to think about. Yeah. Plus, they're fun. I, I uh, yeah. when uh, the Bishop of Metuchen was announced mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, Checkio, Checkio, right, Bishop Checkio. He was a, he at the time he was a priest of the Camden I Diocese. I know, I know. So because I'm of that, to the neck, right? Exactly. Yeah. We were allowed to um, we were allowed to be a part of that. Yeah. So I got to see all the like what happens when yeah. something, which yeah. is great. The so pictures I, were great. I remember. Seeing I feel that. prepared for this, yeah. so it'll be nice. Anyway, you're right. We do need to get on it because you came yeah. up. With a great idea. As I always for, do. As you always do. You have great <laughs> podcast ideas. You came up with a great podcast idea for the beginning of January. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm always thinking locally. I'm always thinking the people I know, the great talent that's out there, and just what's you know what would be a good podcast that people would enjoy hearing about and maybe even going a step further with, um, whether it be in their faith or some you know some other route, which I think in this case would be some deeper diving into reading. So <laughs> the one thing you and I, the only thing you and I are in agreement with, yeah, we neither one of us are big readers. I know, and I apologize in advance Me to too. our audience and to our guests <laughs> that it's just something I've struggled with my whole life. I'm a doer, I'm a mover, not a sitter. I, 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 I fall I'm asleep saying, but, when I read, yeah. so I've never liked it. But the few the few times I've sat down and read, I, I've enjoyed it, and I actually enjoyed the friendship with all three of these authors and their people of our diocese they're locals they're right here in south jersey and they've written three um very different books three contrast you know there's nothing alike that the common the commonality between them is that they're all catholic and that mm-hmm. their faith is infused in different parts of the book whether it be as a whole or the whole topic or even just some um, part of the uh, aspects of it so gonna let them each introduce themselves and maybe their book Sure. Do that? Sorry, so, that. starting to my left, uh, if, if our first author would like to give us his name and the name of his book. Sure. Uh, hello, I'm Dominic Scarcella, um, and my book is called Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen. It's reflections on the core social conflict revealed by Jesus Christ's way of the cross. Look at that. Nice, right? And I should point out mm-hmm. that Dom and I have known each other for a long time. We're both in the same Knights Council. And, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's a yeah. heck of a great guy. Dom and I Aww. have known each other a long time, too. Actually, the longest out of our three guests, believe it or not. Everybody knows Dom. Yeah. Dom, if you don't Dom. know Dom's Garcella, you got to get to know yeah, this guy. You're not a real Catholic if yeah. you don't know Dom. Yeah, Dom and I go back to my first youth ministry job right here at St. Bridget's. St. Bridget's. Yeah, wow. Yes. 15 Vintage. years ago. So yeah, 2009. It was a while. I don't know. Almost 15 years. 2008. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yep. So we've, Dom, we've, we've been Facebook s- friends ever since, but we've worked together closely, especially in the last two years. And this is like the 367th episode we've done, and she didn't get you on here before now. I apologize. Th- that's quite all right. I've, I've probably had not much to say <laughs> until now. Like, I needed the right topic like and the right, uh, the right setting with two other authors as well to, uh, to be here. So Perfect. Yeah. I well, think the timing is perfect. Uh, you know what? Then, then the Holy Spirit was at work. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And our next uh, author... Hey there, I'm Nicole. <laughs> I'm fixing my microphone thing, and now we're all laughing. Good intro. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm Nicole Rollander. I'm in Williamstown, New Jersey. I am a poet, and my latest book is called The Luster of Everything I'm Already Forgetting. Other poets told me it was a horrible idea to have a long title, but both my books have long titles, and people always comment that they're fascinated by that. You know, I could have picked like one word, but I do have to say my third collection, which I've started working on, is called Misericordia, one word. Oh, nice. Mm, yeah. Nice. So. But a different language, and I appreciate different that language. too. Latin. Oh, that'll be good. Uh, and we should also say a returning guest. Returning a returning, guest. yes. The last and another th- good friend of mine. Another good friend of yours. And uh, though the first time in person, right? Last time we did it via Zoom? Yeah, that was COVID land. Yeah. yeah that was a while ago. Here right. we are. Right. We're, we're less than six person. feet apart, and we're okay. <laughs> we're all surviving <laughs> and thriving. Hey, listen, thank goodness. And our last author is... Hi, my name's Laura Quinn. I'm from Williamstown. I write historical fiction set at the Jersey Shore. My first novel is called Thicker Than Water. It's part of a trilogy. And it's basically Boardwalk Empire meets Titanic. It's set in (laughs) Philadelphia and the Jersey Shore during World War I. And a lot really happened in our area during that time frame with some romance kind of sprinkled in. What's really ironic, and you know, I would just like to say thank you so much to you and Carrie, you know, for for having us on. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole is not only a really talented poet, but she was one of my early readers nice. when when I was still, you know, drafting the novel. And Carrie was also, you know, involved when I when I launched the novel. I did a uh, a book drive for youth mm-hmm. with a really really amazing local company called Book Smiles, and they take you know gently used books and redistribute them uh, to the underserved in the Philadelphia and South Jersey area. And, mm-hmm. you know, with your help and, you know, really the youth group at Our Lady of Peace in Williamstown, you know, we were able to raise like over 2,000 books um, yeah, for these that kids. Was, and yeah. that, was, that was amazing. So oh, to be here awesome. with both of you kind of brings everything kind of full circle. Full circle here know? and another good friend of mine. I yeah. mean, this is, uh, the Lord connects us all. Like, he through, definitely through church does. Absolutely. And um, through through your children for each of you with, our, with the youth group and Dom through youth group as well just as a volunteer and helping out so it's really cool to all be here kind of bring it all together and when I was thinking of this idea I was just it was actually because Dom was talking to me about his book I'm like hmm yeah we could bring Dom on the podcast I was like wait a minute I know other Catholic authors too you know a lot of authors yeah it's really cool here's the thing so Dom and I have known each other for quite some time and Nicole's been on before I bet you didn't know I actually have a connection to Laura too I'm not sure Laura knows that I have a connection to to Laura I one of your readers is one of my best friends Really? Matter of fact, not only that, this very that book. Is so, that is so flattering. Th- this very book. <laughs> so you've seen that book before. I went, shh, <laughs> you, my, my very best friend and I went searching. We were on oh, vacation. Yeah, t- because, hold on, wait a minute. I, I don't mm, jump on my bed. I know. The, we were actually on vacation down in uh, outside of Cape May. Yep. Her family, my family. We and went searching through. Yep. We were, went search, she was like, Mike, Mike. I have to show you this book because I helped the author write it. We we searched a whole bunch of different places. We weren't able to find it, which made me feel very happy because they meant they sold out of it. That was great. I'm saying, that's good for the author. Erin Hench is... Oh, my little... <laughs> yes, she my, is amazing. My, she was also one of my early readers um, and one of one of my, my biggest champions, and she's she's amazing. She's just salt I, of the earth, amazing, amazing person. She and I have um, worked together for 20 years, and I got but I got news for yeah. her. Oh, and, and I told Erin I was going to talk... You know, the talk, world just shrank. Oh, yeah. I told her I was going to talk about her on the podcast. Um, Hi. I, was gonna, of, of all the, I said, of all the people I know, I never would have anticipated Erin, who is one of the most 
most intelligent, incredible logistical people I've ever met. She and I worked events all our lives. Never would have occurred to me to use her as a beta reader for anything. Yeah. Did she give you good uh, feedback? Absolutely. Okay, that's that's yeah. all that matters. Absolutely. Well, she was very excited. And we literally went to like four different bookstores yeah. looking Aww. for it. So she was she was really excited to see it. And so I'm very happy we finally got you on the show. So thank you for that. Wow. Well, you're welcome. I know. Once again. Thank, you looking, thank you for going to multiple stores to look for my book. The shore has been really kind to me. So I have, um, I have a question about it's this. It's been really like, kind to me. Uh, what does the reader, what does that mean? Like they just proofread it and like give you feedback? Um, give me, give us some insight because this is a so somebody that ha- doesn't understand this world. Sure. No, that's a great question. So um, a beta reader, and, and you guys jump in, feel free to correct me if, if I'm wrong or speaking out of turn. But when I use the term beta reader, it's, it's a lay reader. It's, it's an avid reader of someone within my genre that has the free time on their hands to look through an early version of my manuscript mm-hmm. just from a reader's standpoint. There might be gram- grammatical errors, there might be plot holes, there might be instances with characters that might not sit with that reader or traits about the character that they absolutely love. So you're just really looking for feedback. And then, you know, I took that and made some more revisions. um, And then I brought in like professional editing Mm -hmm. with a developmental editor. They look at a big picture. And then you have a line editor, which goes literally line by line through your through your Mm. through your work and looks at sentence structure, things of that nature, and then, you know, proofreading, which is what it sounds like. But if I missed anything, or if you guys have a different process... You um, know what it tells uh, me is that the two of us really need to respect the genre more by reading yeah, it. Look at all I the know. work that goes into, I know, into that, that book. Um, no, no, this is really, this is filling out the picture for me, because I never, yeah, I never realized all that. Now, when you have beta readers, how many do you have? Because, like, I just got like a little like anxiety thrust thinking all this feedback you got and now you got it from different people reading it and now you got to put it all on like change it and oh that just seems like a lot like well that is another really great question <laughs> and I'm sure we all have different processes as well this is my debut work and a substantial um, debut work it's, I mean it's a, it's a big book I like big books and I cannot lie pages, yeah. <laughs> it is almost 500 <laughs> pages so I was so flattered that you know the response that I got I put out a call on my social media for beta readers and I provided them with a a working book blurb which is you know for those not familiar a blurb is what's located on the back of a novel just tells you the little gist of of what the story might be about so that was still you know a work in progress but I gave them enough information to say like hey do you want to be part of this project and I took on 25, which was wow. absolutely amazing. I was super, super flattered. I don't think I will be taking as many next time because it was overwhelming for me. Yeah. Um, I kind of bit off more than I could chew. And I used the general rule of thumb where, you know, if three to five readers agree on a certain situation, it needs to be worked on. Yeah. Mm, um, and then, you know, there's going to be varying shades of things that they like or things that they don't care for. but. You know, if we have a, a little pool that says, you know, that right there doesn't sit well, or that right there, like, I love it, you know, you kind of hit on something, or you need to make a course correction and adjustments. I think next time I would probably use, you know, roughly roughly five. Mm-hmm. Um, so wow, that there's cutting it, cutting it cut, way down. Cutting it down, but then, yeah. you know, because it's an odd number, there's that tiebreaker. Yeah. Great. So you know, we'll, we'll say that that is the plan as, as you know. Moving forward with book yeah. two. With book two, exactly. Well, you've, you've talked me out of ever being a competitor of yours because <laughs> I, 
you know, I, the longest thing I've ever had to r- r- write was my master's thesis, and that was 11,000 words. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll never be able to come up with 11,000 mm-hmm. words for my thesis. But then I reminded myself I've been a, r- a reporter for 30 years, well, 20 years at that point. And, uh, and I was like, I don't know, I've, overall, I've probably written a million words. I've just never tied them all together before. Mm-hmm. But that is impressive, uh, particularly for your first work. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank very, you. Very, thank you very, very much. Impressive. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit with our other authors as well. So Dom, you know, when we talked to Nicole once before, so I'm going to come back to you first. Um, What was sort of the impetus for your book? The impetus for my book, which is probably the complete opposite of everything that Laura went through. (laughs) Good, Um, good, good. That's exactly what we want. (laughs) There you go. Um, uh, My book is uh, less than your master's thesis. It's, uh, the, the body of the book is around 10,000 words. The average adult reads about 230 to 240 a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could read this book in less time than this podcast apparently will, wow. there will you go. travel. It's you know about a 45-minute read. Um, but it's also written that it could be a devotional and a meditative aid. So if you are the kind of person who reads more slowly, you can take as much time as you want. Um, beta readers. I had no beta readers. <laughs> um, I had... Uh, I had basically uh, a, a chat I was having with someone uh, online in a, a professional social media setting about um, what goes into being a publications manager at different um, different think tanks or, or different publishing houses. And uh, he got saying, you know, if you ever want to do this, uh, you've got to learn at least the, the self-publishing sites. And I said, oh, I could probably do that. And so I, I went ahead and looked into, you know, the first one they say is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Look into Amazon self-publishing and self-authoring. Uh, so I, I went through that and, and, you know, after looking through it for a few days, I said, this would probably work better if I had a book <laughs> to like send through the whole process. So I took a few weeks and wrote a book and then got it through the self-publishing at Amazon, then went Lulu. Um, Barnes and Noble took much longer because their, their paperwork as far as getting onto their site and having the permission to upload, that took a lot longer. So I, I eventually did Barnes and Noble as well, but uh, my book is is edited by me. It's written by me. Um, <laughs> I am be- my, beta read by you. <laughs> I am the beta reader. I, really, I was the beta person who was going through and saying, nah, that probably wasn't that good, you should change that. Um, so I was my beta reader. Um, you are uh, the alpha and the omega of your readers. I was the alpha and <laughs> yes. the omega of, of my readers. Uh, so it's uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny because uh, my my feedback came after I published it because the right. goal was to the goal wasn't to you know I want to write a book because uh, I've always felt like I wanted to be an author. It was I want to learn these publishing platforms, <laughs> so I need a book. There you go. So Let's I did everything the normal backwards. way. Yeah, everything backwards. In fact, I even started getting feedback after it was published. Now it's available on the publishing houses, and so now people can go read it on their Kindle or their Nook, or order a paperback, or even read the previews that are up on the different websites. So I got feedback after everything was out there for the public. Yeah. So like everybody got to see my 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 first attempt at not only writing but as navigating how do you use these modern publishing tools to create content create longer form content because you know we've all been to blog sites or read articles online yeah you know, i have one of those too but this was a, a chance to put out something that 
can actually be printed and it can be a physical book. I'm, I'm holding one here now and you can, you can see if I hold it long ways to you how thin this book is. <laughs> that well, is, that's Carrie's kind of book right there. Yes. One of my challenges was if um, on Amazon, if you don't do more than 60 pages, they will not give you a spine. Oh, that's they, interesting. They just staple it down the middle like a magazine. Oh. So I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, how do I get this to be at least 62 pages? <laughs> <laughs> but but eventually it all worked out. And, uh, you know, I only had um, a couple of, uh, being my own proofreader, I only had a couple of annoying things that I, I went back and had to fix. So if, and anyone, I, I joke with people, anyone who purchased the book before Thanksgiving of 2023, you have a rare collector's item. <laughs> because eventually I looked at it and said, oh, I should have italicized that. And that should have been a capital <laughs> H. And that word is meaningless there and should have come out. And so I, I, I was waiting to, should I do that or not? Should I do that or not? And when I eventually launched a Substack that has the same name as the book, Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen, mm -hmm. I said, I want to put the Substack on the back cover and on the title page and in the afterword. So that now's my chance to italicize those six words and capitalize the H in he when it referred to Jesus this one time where I forgot. Yep. And, you know, take out the one word that was meaningless here and, you know, do, do, do all those little things that I guess a beta reader or a professional proofreader would have caught. I, I, yeah. I make it sound like it was it was like a, a lot to do, but I'm I'm a reporter like you, Mike, mm -hmm. by trade, uh, an editor by trade, a proofreader by trade. So like, it wasn't like I was stepping into something I had never done. Yeah, you really were comfortable. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The online processes and the publishing houses were the things I had never done before. Yeah. But the writing and, you know, Carrie and I know each other through teen ministries. And we also uh, are co-teachers for RCIA here mm -hmm. at St. Bridget University Parish, have been for a couple of years. So. I'm, I'm used to teaching this material. I, it, um, the Stations of the Cross and, and Mercy are personal devotions of mine. So mm -hmm. that's why I was saying, you know, I got to write a book. What can I hammer out in a few weeks? Yeah. It was, it was this. It was things I've, I've taught to people. It, it's yeah. topics I've taught. It's devotionals I've had. Write about what you know, of course. Yes, especially if you have to do it quickly. So this, this was more like <laughs> a, a really long maybe magazine or, or newspaper paper series mm -hmm. assignment than a book but you know in the end it's printed it's up and book. bound and looks like yeah, a book it's a book yeah. it's a book it's got a spine and when you do your second book i promise you second book when you do your second book i promise you carrie will be your beta reader okay <laughs> as long as it's a devotional as long as it's, as long as it's barely big enough to have a spine yeah right? 45 minutes or less i'm good <laughs> i think i think carrie just wants to be referred to as a beta reader i think that's a cool i, I i'm no, yeah, hey listen yeah. i've been around writers my entire life no one's ever asked i've had been asked to edit one thing i was asked edit a master thesis and, oh, and that, it was it was cool wow. I got a piece of art out of it it was it actually it was great actually it was a great experience and actually I learned a lot from it, it was all about uh, marketing and uh, yeah. I, I will admit that I stole some of my marketing ideas from his uh, his thing so our third author who we've had yes. before so welcome back welcome again. back and what what was your publication journey uh, for this book well, for either of your books. Life. Um, well, I'm one of these people that I wanted to be a writer since I was four. And then when I told my parents I was going to get my MFA in poetry, they're like, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> right? <laughs> so that was 20 years ago. Um, like you, Mike, and Dom. What am I, not you. The two of you. I'm a working writer. I was uh, an editor-in-chief of magazines for 10 years, and for the last six years, I've run my own copywriting business. So I'm a working writer, but I'm also a creative. Um, but as far as poetry, that's funny, right? Because I don't think anybody sets out to be a poet. It's something that chooses you because it's a heavy thing. Yeah. 
it's a heavy thing. Mm -hmm. So when you say to people, I'm a poet, they're like, oh, okay, all right, what, what, you got that dark outfit on over there. But the truth is, I don't really, <laughs> there's some funny poetry, but poetry, like for the serious poet, it's a, it's a place where you contend with yourself. You enter a room with yourself and you contend with the hard things and you put that into the poem. And it can be difficult. My husband's like, I can't listen to this right now. It's yeah. too much. Um, you know, but my book actually does center around my faith journey. And in this book, a, a lot of what I'm writing about is grappling with forgiveness. Am I really forgiven? Can I forgive myself? And so I had a breakthrough after I had the book published and I'm like, oh, I got to write Misericordia, Mercy, right? Because mm -hmm. I, now, I, now I feel like I got to continue on because these poems need to be more informed. But, but the way that I wrote my book is over five years, I was writing poems, submitting them to journals, getting them accepted and compiling a manuscript. But it took five years because I wanted every poem in there to be something that I loved. And then finally, assembled the man manuscript, and I had two poets read it um, and give me their feedback. Mm. And it was published through Kelsey Books. And um, like you, uh, Dom, I had to go through and edit my book. And then there were times when I was like, ooh, he has to be capitalized. Guys, go back and fix that. Mm -hmm. um, but and, and one thing I did learn, a lot of my poems are very strangely formatted. And that caused so many problems on the page. And I'm like, next book, everything's going to be left margin, short lines, no spacing, super easy. <laughs> so, Got so it set up was, already. So, yeah. So that was um, that was something that I learned. Yeah. I guess you can always learn something along the way and kind of refine it with the next one. Right. And be able sure. to make it, you know better you know make it the next yeah you know, next step oh, yeah. along the way particularly when you're talking about something like formatting like this like I, so i'm flipping through your book now and it, it you have that is a unique formatting and actually several and you probably say almost, how do you pick it and i go the poem tells me yeah how it's supposed to look well how it's supposed to look on the like page it's like a form of art it, visually right. as well as yes audibly i was gonna say because there's multiple layers writing poetry there's the there's the art of the language it's like composing music with mm -hmm. words yeah. um, but it's also the images and it's the feelings it evokes and I what I try to do with my art is have people leave change or say I see something of myself so I mean the, the book itself there's like lots of themes you know it's like motherhood it's sobriety it's uh, searching for God it's contending with you know the death of a grandmother I mean there's all different types of topics in there um, that I kind of touch on, but there's no funny poems though. That's saying not one, not one funny <laughs> poem in the book at all. Part two. So <laughs> they be they're, they're happier poems. Oh, mercy. Yes, there there's there's some poems joy there, right? They're they're a, they're a little bit more uh, straightforward. Yeah. But um, very narrative. I had a son who was uh, premature by nine weeks, and so there's a whole section in in the book um, dedicated to him mm. and that experience. I have a question for you. Yeah. You talked about formatting your book. And uh, when I was going through, whether it was Amazon or Barnes & Noble, formatting was a big deal if you wanted your book available in electronic form as well, because hmm. they, they change all the formatting. Did you no. make oh, your, your book available for e-readers? E I don't know. I You know, I'm not sure if it's... If it is or not. Because it, 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 one of the things about e-readers is everybody's e-reader is a little different and everybody oh. can make their mm -hmm. font size bigger mm -hmm. and their, their screen width yeah, different. Sure. Changes. I had margins so, that I had to follow because my publisher was like, you got to yes. set it up for margins and then they yes. put it on there. So I'm not sure yep. actually if it's available. <laughs> 
could, when, when you talked about the visual aspect of publishing, yeah. it, you can do that on a, on a print and decide, you know, what your page sizes and everything. I was wondering if you ran into problems if you were intending to make an ebook and if that threw off all your formatting. I just did one format, so. Okay. Not sure if it's an ebook. I should know that, right? I should know if my book is an ebook or not. I don't if know. If somebody can get it on Kindle or Nook, right. then yeah. you, it's been ebooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. That is a big deal. That was one of the things. Is you know, formatting is crazy, and every publishing house had a different way of formatting. And it's tough. It is. And yeah. you yeah. self-published, or did how much no, did your publishing through, house it's help through you? Through Kelsey Books. Um, okay. And so, th- so that was one of the things is that I okay. put it into the format, and if all the poems were left justified and short lines, it would have been easy. But no. No, because everything was, you know, all over up. the place, all over the place. Literally, I had to go in there and it was it was a lot of work. Wow. So that's that's a lesson learned for the next time. For Laura, for you, did you have to do the formatting? Did you send it to the publishing company and they formatted it for you? Um, I outsourced both my my cover and my formatting. The company who did them was Elite Authors because this was my debut. And I also know my limitations. So I'm not a graphic designer. And, you know, from a technology standpoint, my 13-year-old probably knows more than, than I do. So I really did not feel comfortable doing that myself. So I did outsource that. I have subsequently learned, you talked about, we touched on digital conversion, whether it's you know paperback or available on an e-reader. And, and mine is available across multiple platforms as well. But for, for my next book, I'm going to actually try to format it myself. There's right. some software out there. Atticus accepts Microsoft Word documents. And Vellum is for writers who are on Mac and, and Apple products. So for anybody who is listening and, you know, maybe um, interested in dipping their toe into the self-publishing pool, those and they're both comparatively priced. Nice. And, you know, definitely something I'll be I'll be looking into next time around. For the digital conversion, there is a company called Draft to Digital mm-hmm. and they will do it for you for free. Oh wow. Free. That's very cool. <laughs> oh. I have to say I, you know, you, you were talking about the, the, the covers. I actually say they're very handsome covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, Nicole, I, I love the fact that you have the nativity. The nativity. Jersey. That is really mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, for And, you know, you don't necessarily claim that <coughs> your poems are necessarily Catholic in nature or Catholic by intent, but there's a Catholicism that sort of like runs through them, right? That's correct. I'm not a theologian and I don't think a Catholic publisher would, <laughs> would publish this book because it's, you know, it's but it's my experience with Catholicism. I think you heard yeah. the Annunciation poem. Yes. That, that one, right? Um, so it's my interpretation. I mean, there's nothing not Catholic yeah, in there. It's you not, know what I mean? But it's not it's, heretical or anything. No, right. Yeah. It's not heretical. But it is, but right, as a lay person who is finding my way through, you know, my spiritual journey, it's yeah. it's my experience. And, and, and there's, it's, I mean, some of the blurbs on the back that people that everybody wrote it's all about my journey yeah. um, mm-hmm. and like they're hymns to God and they're meditative um, and it's it's redemptive it's it's like you can be anyone yesterday but today you can start over yeah. right and I think that's an important message for a lot of people now Dom yours yes. because of you know it's nature your book because of its nature uh, yours is a bit more Catholic yours and intentional in that regard it, it's intentionally the gospel accounts of Jesus's way of the cross and his persecution it is yeah. it's um it's it's written uh, from that standpoint but most of the the feedback I've gotten is from people who either um, 
they're they they may be culturally Christian because it's tough to grow up in the U.S. and not at least know a little bit culturally mm -hmm. about Christianity. You've you've heard the name Jesus, you've heard Christ, you've heard Christmas. Sure, yeah, of course. You've heard people saying keep Christ in Christmas, and maybe you've wondered what that is. Um, but uh, like for, for instance, I'll tell you when I when I put the book up on Amazon, um, it charted best in Amazon's anarchism charts. Mm. It was the number one hot new release in the anarchism charts. It got as high as overall number four in anarchism. Is it because of the title, Bad Citizen? The t well, it's not only the title. It, it's the book itself, Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen. It's, Interesting. It's, 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 it's all about that. It, it also charted not quite as high in Christian devotionals and, and um, ethics and morality. Mm -hmm. You know, all, all these little tiny categories on yeah. Amazon where it doesn't take much to, you know, hit their top 50s. You know, it's not like you're in general popular reading or anything, but, right. you know, in niche categories. Um, I, I, I joke that I don't know if any hardcore churchgoers have found the book yet because I haven't gotten any one-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the people who really take into the book and are people who I don't, some of them have expressed that they're not Christian, but it's, it, the, the subject matter was interesting to them, and they wanted to look more into it oh, that's after, good. after reading it. That's, it. I mean, it seems to me that the, some folks are considering yours sort of a, a resource book. Which is kind of, I guess, what it is when you consider might what, be, what you, it might how be an you introduction Yeah, for them. you Because know, there's probably a lot of people, I, I know there's some people who've read this book who've told me I never looked into it this much before. Yeah. Or I, I had never written, I, I'd never, because uh, there, there's gospel passages cited all over the place. Yeah. Yes, there's dozens of little gospel yeah. references in there. And, uh, you know, they said, I, I've, I've never read little bits of, of scripture like that, you know. Um, I, I'm, I, well, no, that was we're, we're in there. Catholic. We don't read scriptures. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> but that's the joke every Protestant makes. Yes, all right. But, uh, but it's but it's true. You know, Catholics by our nature, we're not we're not we typically don't crack open a Bible, not because we're against it, not because we. It's mm -hmm. just you know we, we use missiles, we use uh, you know um, you know excerpts from the Bible as a general rule. Yeah, all over masses. We, exactly. It's, it's typically it's in what, mass. It's just the nature of how our our liturgy runs. Right. Yes. It's not that we're ignoring the rest of it it's just you know we've kind of figured out how to how to nail down the important parts not that all of it isn't important but uh, that's why books like that are so great because you know you might be pulling from something that's that's atypical than that you would have been hearing and if you are if you're someone who doesn't under the understand the catholic liturgy if you're a protestant or a, an atheist and you're looking for those connections it's nice to see that uh, you've provided them in your book so people can be aware i i hope so it's it's for it's for curious, open-minded people. Yeah, which yeah. means you know, there's we we like to think that like everybody in the church is fits that category, but it doesn't. No. And yeah. there's people outside the church who fit that category. Yeah. So um, it's it's for curious, open-minded people who who will you know take the time to spend forty-five minutes reading <laughs> continuously if they can get you know if they can do it. A reasonable right? and actually, I have to give you a lot of credit. Not only is it a, a reasonable forty-five pages, you have an outstanding contents page. You, oh, well, thank you. It is, it is excellent <laughs> because I was, I was looking at it and I was like, wait, I know exactly where to go for this, which is not always the case in some stuff. But, you know, for a, you know, you got this thing broken down nicely into five different chapters. You mm -hmm. got, you got the stations busted out. I, I love it. I think it's a, I think it really is a, a well-constructed book, you which is even more impressive. And I was about to say <laughs> Which is even more impressive for being self-published. Uh, you put a lot of good thought into it. So how, Thank long, you. how long did it take you to write this? 
probably around four weeks or so to write it and, and get it proofread enough where I was ready to really jump in and start sending the document through the publishing houses and get back, you know, my author's copy and read things. And, and also the covers you, you're mentioning, uh, the, the, obviously we're doing an audio podcast, but the covers of uh, Nicole and Laura's books are, are very intricate and beautiful. I, I also worked with someone on this cover. I'm not a visually expressive person. And I said, um, I need something very simple because most people will be looking at this like maybe an inch high on their phones, tablets, or, or desktop computers. So I want something that doesn't get lost when it's shrunk down to this big. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of I was kind of the art director, even though I don't have the art skills. Mm -hmm. And so I wound up with something that was incredibly simple as a cover. It's black on yellow, which stands out. Mm -hmm. There's a a little bit of, you know, the the T in Citizen is kind of an artistic cross. But other than that, it's... it's, Well, well, Carrie, I mean, you're a graphic designer. Do you approve? I think for for the goals they were met the yeah. goals were met yep. I mean I preferred something a little more visually intricate so oh, like yeah. my eye will go to definitely the other two over that one just because it's like well, inviting as a but pe- as far as something like bold and stand out yeah it, it if you if you're going for a goal that's something one inch small because even on the back you have like a little little graphic icon of the front cover at least on the copy I have and it's like oh there it is like in small version and it's still you could still read it well done Thank you. <laughs> Nicole, uh, how long, each of your books, about how long do they take you to, to come up with and from, from, let's say, beginning to end? Yeah, so this one was like five years. Five years. Because I was, you know, copywriting and writing articles and then the poetry always goes to the side. Plus, it's like that inspirational thing. Like, I'll sit there and write bits and snippets and stuff and then finally it's like, all right, it's time to write the poem. Got to sit down and do it. Um, but it's like not something I can necessarily do every day. It, it is kind of like, you know, being stereotypical, the muse mm-hmm. has to hit. Yeah, so sure. it takes longer. Um, cause when I try to do like, there's a thing in April is like write a poem a day. It gets really stressful cause Ooh. you start out, you're like, Ooh, it's really good. And then you get to like day eight and you're like this, these drafts are really bad. They're really bad. And like for me, I can't, I don't want to write bad drafts. I want to write good good drafts because if it's bad i'm like you're you're out of here bye-bye leave um so i try to like write my notes down and have everything and then when i feel like the heart of the poem then i sit down and i write a pretty good draft yeah so it took that's, a long time that's okay it's, and both both your books were around the same probably about the same yeah because mm-hmm. the other book i think was 2015 when it came out so you just started doing Misericordia? Mm-hmm. And we're, so we'll see that in 2028? I don't know. I want to write it faster. <laughs> Stay I'm, tuned. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a simpler style, a little bit shorter poems. Um, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do something a little different mm. with this. What is the amount of poems in the current book? How many? It's like 60-something Okay, poems. so that's a good amount. So it's a lot. I yeah. Mean, and also when you're writing poems, you're kind of writing about around themes, but it's not like, you know, you have like your plot and your arc and you've got to like come up with all these characters and mm-hmm. stuff. So I just have a bunch of poems, right? And then I print out all the pages and I'm like, all right, let's start putting them into it's sections. It's not just a yeah. bunch of poems. <laughs> I mean, so no, I'm saying, but it's, it's, it's a little bit more of an organic process where when you have the poems, you start organizing them. And there's lots of ways. Mm-hmm. I've read so many how to organize your poetry book. And I will tell you, not one of them has worked for me. You mm-hmm. have to organize organically do it as an artist what is the arc that you want people to experience what's the first poem what's the gateway what's the last poem what are the sections mm-hmm. what are the epigraphs that you choose in each section it happens super organically um, and then you put it together and you have people read it 
um, you read it and you kind of see where things, you know, might need yeah. to be changed around or even like, hey, I need an extra poem here, extra poem there. Um, but I feel like the in this book, the arc is redemptive. Um, mm-hmm. And it and it and it does when you come to the end, you do feel like you've seen this person's spiritual journey. I mean, mm-hmm. mine. It's I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to say mine, but it is mm-hmm. mine. <laughs> sure. And other um, people can live through that though too and relate yeah. and as well in their own redemption as well. Yeah. Whereas Dom's, you got redemption, it, but it's like station one through fourteen. I mean, you're not changing that. It's. I put a bonus station <laughs> at the end where you know Jesus rises from the, the dead. Yeah. Yes, I, I yeah. wanted to. Yeah, it's kind of you know you're going through just this really sad yeah it's the sorrowful mysteries it's a really sad journey yeah. you know? and i i i really admire each of you being able to develop a, a narrative structure nicole and laura um i don't do that kind of thing so fortunately for mm-hmm. me it was already done for yeah. me yeah. like i i Thank have you, the jesus, historical accounts of that. jesus going through <laughs> yeah. his stations of the cross I, yeah, all i had to do was kind of dig into it and get deeply into it i didn't have to come up with characters i didn't right. have to come up with a plot i didn't have to come up with a, an overarching story arc and then smaller story arcs it was there for me already sure. so, yeah. so i really admire you guys the the work that you had to go into creating all of that underlying stuff before the 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 words hit the page yeah that's a lot of thinking and a lot of creativity and and inventiveness going into it right yeah i'm curious how long did it take you to get your book from beginning to end oh boy so mine was a very long journey the uh the story of one of my romance story arcs was one that i used to tell myself in my head when my son who is now 13 was an infant uh, he was a really bad sleeper and audiobooks you know were were relatively new i didn't have access to one so i would just rock him and you know you know tell it to myself in my head so i wouldn't fall asleep with this baby mm-hmm. then a few years later you know i was it was something that that was still kind of needed to clear out the cobwebs. So I wrote a short story, literally out of nowhere. My background is in life insurance. My health, I have a criminal justice degree. So I kind of fell into life insurance, investigating white collar crime. Wow. Uh, so I, I wrote you know, a lot of business paperwork, a lot of legal documents, but never fiction. So to write a short story was really out of left field, but I think everything is on God's time. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I showed my husband the short story, which was about six months after it was written, I said, I, I think this is something I really want to tackle. It is a historical fiction genre. I want to get my facts straight. You know, it's about our area. You know, I grew up in South Jersey. I worked in Philadelphia. Like this place is important to me. These people are important to me. I want to I want to do it right. The research itself took about two years. And I, you know, I'm a working mom as well. But so that kind of, you know, added, you know, I would do things in my, in my free time and I just kept asking for more time and then here comes COVID. But again, that's God's time because go. I wrote mm-hmm. the bulk of it, you know, during the pandemic. It does cover, you know, it is historical fiction. It does cover parts of the Spanish flu. So writing about a pandemic while living through a pandemic, um, that was cathartic and and somewhat, I I don't want to say projecting, but I really tried to to do right by both pandemics and those who were lost during the pandemics. By the time it went to press, you know, it was about four years as, as a work in progress between research and drafting and publication. Wow. But it's been with me, you know, you know, much longer. But I think, you know, that that's part of his plan. 
Yeah. And you said there was a reference to St. Michael in part of it. Can you talk very briefly on that reference? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So, and I, just from a, from a content warning, it is a fiction narrative. So uh, it, it does pertain to, you know, war. So there may be scenes in the, in the novel that might not be for every reader. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like cautioning that. Yeah. Um, so I'm a survivor of adverse childhood experiences, including, you know, domestic violence and child abuse. So that is also kind of built into the narrative with my characters. And there's a really pivotal scene that's actually the cover shot so that when those who see the cover will resonate with this scene in the book. But one of the main characters does reference the prayer of St. Michael, who is the protector. He's the great protector. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a major plot point. So I can't say anything more than oh, that. Okay. Fair <laughs> um, enough. Aside from, you know, that, you know, as like having those experiences and using my voice through my characters and trying to really present the material in in a way that's realistic to give a voice to the voiceless. You know, using using that prayer at that time, you know, was definitely intentional on my part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I might not be here, you know, if if not, you know, for like God and the Holy Spirit, I'm, I might not be here with you lovely people right mm-hmm, now. You know, mm-hmm. we, we all have a path and we all have experiences. And I'm just really grateful, you know. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, thank you all for, mm-hmm. for coming with us today. Uh, we really appreciate that. Thank you all for your, your devotion to writing. Um, and we, Carrie and I both apologize for, for not being good <laughs> readers. Maybe maybe this will inspire us to read, at the very least, your books. But uh, it's, with us today was Dom Scarcella, Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen is his book. Um, we have Nicole Rolander, The Luster of Everything, I'm Already Forgetting, and Laura Quinn, Thicker Than Water. And very quickly, where can they get your your books, Laura? Um, my book is available across um, um, all major platforms. Okay. And Nicole? Uh, basically the same, or Kelsey Books. Okay. And Dom? Search for Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen on Amazon.com, uh, on Barnes & Noble's website, uh, at Lulu.com, and at Substack if you want to continue the conversation with a weekly article oh, related to the theme. Even better. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all. Have a thank very happy new year. And uh, to our listeners, we'll talk to you again soon. God bless.